This is In Conversation from Network Reorient in association with the Orient Journal and the Critical Muslim Studies Project. We aim to explore the post-Western, reconnect the Islamosphere. In this episode, Claudia Radovan is in conversation with Abdul Basit Sheikh on prevent, academia and representation. Welcome to Network Reorient. Today we are speaking to Dr. Sheikh from the University of Leeds, who is a teaching fellow with the Department of Arabic, Islamic and Middle Eastern Studies, as well as Leeds Lifelong Learning Centre. Um, his research interests are in the areas of representations of Islam and Muslims globally and within the media. However, he also specialises in the areas of Abrahamic religions and Arab and Islamic civilizations and history. So thank you, Dr. Sheikh, for joining us. Uh, thank you, uh, Claudia, and, and a very big thank you to youth um, for actually giving me this wonderful opportunity to talk about a very important subject this afternoon. Uh, fantastic. So obviously um, <clears throat> today we'll be speaking about PREVENT um, and particularly its position within uh, academia and with regards to how it's impacted representations of Muslims. So obviously PREVENT has now been around for some time and we've seen different iterations under Labour governments, then the coalition, and subsequently with Preeti Patel leading the charge. So what are your thoughts on how it's developed over time? Um, I think, Claudia, the first thing is that when the PREVENT strategy actually came out in response to the atrocities uh, on uh, 7-7, July 2005, I think it was under Hazel Blears, uh, who happened to be the community's secretary at the time. And I think PREVENT initially started out uh, you know, with good intentions um, on the basis of basically uh, stopping uh, people from being um, radicalized uh, and stopping people from actually uh, entering into the, the the world of you know what's this you know the, the word mm-hmm. that's actually used to describe these sort of actors, which is uh, is terrorism. I mean, as you'll know, uh, Claudia. I mean, terrorism is very much a, an open word. It's open to open to debate in terms of describing. Uh, you know, groups or, or people um, engaging in these sort of activities. So I think PREVENT initially started off um, in a good spirit in terms of basically saving people, saving lives and protecting communities. And the very word protection or protecting, oh. you know, uh, meant that, um, you know, it had good intentions. Uh, I think, Claudia, I think in the last 10 years, and I've spoken about this before uh, on other platforms, that Within the last 10 years, PREVENT has become very much, uh, you know, come under the securitization lens that Mm. security, securitization has very much uh, meant that PREVENT does not have the trust and confidence of many communities across the United Kingdom in comparison to what it had between 2005 and 2010. Mm. Do we think... Um, obviously some people have referred to it as a toxic brand lately and there's um, definitely a different view now on being involved in projects that receive prevent funding Um, do we think that this is largely to do with the move from being you know a community-based project with those sorts of um, you know operating in those sorts of ways Um, how do we think it translates now by comparison it's it's not so much um, 
sort of a community endeavour anymore, is it? Well, yes, Claudia. I mean, I, I would agree uh, with that because I think what you have now, what you had probably before was between 2005, 2010, grassroots community organisation, grassroots community organisations very much being involved along with the authorities in terms of how to protect communities, how to create safer mm -hmm. and uh, cohesive uh, communities. So you had a, a what's called a bottom-up approach. And I think now for the last 10 years, it's very much the Home Office um, and uh, DCLG very much mm -hmm. driving the prevent agenda, where it's a top-down approach, where communities are actually being told what what to do uh, you know, by, by the government through the Home Office via the local authorities, rather than the communities being allowed to actually feed into what is you know what's what works best and what is best for the communities because my argument is that diktats from London, uh, you know, civil servant in Whitehall, not yeah. necessarily going to know how a person is does actually you know what what kind of lives communities live in places like Blackburn, Preston, Dewsbury, yeah. Birmingham, Leicester. So you know you need to have you need to if you're going to have policymakers and civil servants, they need to have good experience, good grounding of what makes communities tick. Mm, no, absolutely. Um, particularly with regards to the grassroots endeavours, I definitely want to come back to that. But ju just before we get to the uh, local activism work, obviously um, working within academia gives us a particular perspective on prevent, but also we see how people are subjected to it in very specific ways that differ from um, others in the academic sphere. So what are your views on prevent within academic spaces? I mean, particularly the university context, because that's, you know, the space we occupy, but also in other areas um, of academia. Um, I think um, academia, I mean, the, the whole point, I mean, the re reason why universities were actually created in the first place was to actually protect people, especially when they expressed uh, thoughts in in term in respect of speech and also uh, you know written language through, you know through through mm -hmm. words. Um, universities were created to actually give academics uh, sanctuaries. If you go back through uh, the annals of um, history, I think today um, because there's a duty on public sector bodies and also universities come under it, under the public sector equality uh, duty. Uh, universities find themselves in a very difficult position. On the mm -hmm. one hand, trying to balance freedom of speech. This is what the purpose of universities were actually created for. And also meeting the requirements of, of, of the requirements laid down by the prevent duty and also the, the Equality Act. So I think it's a very difficult a juggling act for universities and also in particular academics because you know academics don't want to be seen as stifling freedom of speech but mm. also recognize that if uh, you know if students are actually being radicalized or there are signs of radicalization where does the tutor actually intervene and um, is it right or wrong for the for the academic to actually intervene if they suspect certain students of actually uh, you know, being radicalized or um, on the way to being mm. radicalized. I think it's a very fine, tight, fine line uh, that one has to uh, walk and, you know, has been uh, walking, uh, you know, for such a considerable period of time. Mm. No, absolutely. Um, so are there any elements of prevent particularly that, 
you see as um, especially problematic um, in the focus of my own work looks at the the way that British values as a concept um, are utilised to sort of enforce narratives uh, around who should be referred and who shouldn't and so on. Um, are there any areas that you sort of feel about the policy that are especially problematic? I mean, for, for, for me, I mean, I've been teaching for nearly for nearly 10, 10 years um, in academia and I'm also, I'm, I'm a community uh, activist uh, uh, as well. And one of the things that I've actually experienced, you know, whilst in, in my, in, in my uh, teaching career is that many students uh, are very, very wary or frightened to actually mm. talk about um, issues concerning uh, Islam, Muslims, especially where Muslims are in, in, in a contemporary, in, in the contemporary world. Mm. And uh, many Muslim students are actually frightened, they're reluctant to talk. And that's what actually inhibits, uh, you know, uh, that's what causes an issue, in, in especially in seminars. I mean, lectures, I mean, mm. you can have an interactive session where you can actually, uh, you know, engage and try and trying to find out whether the students have actually understood the content of the of the lecture. But when it comes to seminars, students are very much reluctant uh, mm. to actually speak. You know, you can feel the atmosphere in the in 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 the classroom that when you ask certain questions, students are reluctant to uh, to talk because they they fear that they will be reported to the authorities for expressing what they believe as being le legitimate views. Mm. No, I agree totally. I've um, I've spoken in the past at conferences where students, I've, I mean, speaking about prevent, and I've had students come up to me afterwards, master's students um, and bachelor's students, and say that they were referred for expressing views that to them um, seemed relatively benign or just, you know, um, quite normal. One student in particular spoke about in a class that she thought that the... Um, the drone strikes in Syria were wrong, that it was um, immoral to, to use drone strikes in this way because of the risk to civilians. And she was referred to prevent for that. So I can I can sort of definitely appreciate how um, prevent has had that impact, impact in seminar situations and the fear that it must cause yeah. among, among students. Uh, um, Sorry, Claudia, can I just add? Yeah, I just want to add one thing. I mean, when it even comes to uh, written work, especially dissertations, uh, assignments, mm. you know that a student is is very capable of, of of doing much better. But especially when it comes to engaging in criticality, many students mm. shy away from actually expressing, you know, uh, you know, controversial, uh, uh, expressing their views on controversial areas or subjects for fearing being reported to, uh, mm. you know, being reported to the to the to the authorities. Um, and you know it's it's a shame because you know you want the people from especially underrepresented communities or backgrounds who are actually mm -hmm. studying at university you want them to do well and, and I think many students don't end up doing better than they should be is simply because they're not willing to take the risk of expressing or engaging in criticality as far as their as far as their assessments are concerned and and th this is you know quite sad. Uh, and you know, I've I've seen this in in the last ten years that I in, try to encourage all my students, you know, to do the best they can. And I think most lecturers do that, and they want them they want the students to engage in independent thinking and criticality. But if some, you know, if they got if you got the specter of prevent hanging over you or like mm. a cloud hanging over you, then you're not going to take that risk, and you'd rather take a lower degree classification and and and, and get your piece of paper and and, and leave. And mm. you know, this is evident. Um, 
I mean, many studies have been done and uh, you know on this. Uh, and many students are just not, especially Muslim students, just not willing to take the risk full stop. And obviously, when we see um, articles revealing that certain universities have submitted students' work to um, people reviewing it for the, for the purposes of um, adhering to prevent um, uh, more than one university that shall uh, remain nameless. But um, do you think that we see a similar um, impact, not just in universities, but in, say, um, high school students um, or even younger than that? Have you, um, in your capacity involved in, in terms of your involvement with local activism, seen that impact? I think um, when it comes to local um, activism, I mean, there are a number of people who have actually been, uh, you know, targeted um, under uh, prevent, especially those who have actually raised genuine ob- ob- uh, objections against the prevent strategy itself and how it's been implemented uh, locally. And um, a number of activists uh, use this particular phrase, silencing the critics, uh, that um, mm. un- underhand or clandestine ways have been used in order to silence uh, individuals and, 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 and threats are made directly or indirectly uh, mm. in order to stop people from criticizing the prevent strategy. And, um, you know, a lot of people who have been victims of this, you know, de- decry the fact that, you know, this country is supposed to be the bastion of, of free speech, that you mm. have certain norms that have been upheld for many centuries. And then suddenly now you find yourself on the on the brink of, totalit- uh, of being, a, being in a totalitarian state where what you say is being, is being monitored and action is being taken against people just for expressing legitimate uh, grievances. And, and, you know, this is mm. something that needs to be uh, addressed uh, definitely going forward. Absolutely. Just, just to sort of go back to your um, grassroots work again, um, is there much sort of um, is there much work being done in terms of making people more aware of prevent, um, just raising their awareness of the policy and the sort of the power that it wields? I think locally, I mean, organisations you know such as MPAC, for example, or MEND, uh, you know, have done a lot of uh, you know uh, excellent work in recent years in raising uh, mm. awareness of the prevent strategy. I mean, I think uh, amongst the uh, amongst uh, students or recent graduates and community, you know, uh, community leaders and activists, I think prevent strategy is well known because certain organizations have to, uh, you know, uphold the prevent strategy if they're running, you know, community organizations or, mm. or uh, you know, because obviously safeguarding now is a fundamental element of the, of the prevent uh, strategy. But I think the general population there are uh, there is a sizable um, um, sizable groups of 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 people uh, you know within the Muslim community, Muslim community in the United Kingdom who are still not familiar mm. of, of of prevent so uh, I, I think it's different unless a study is actually carried out it's difficult to gauge uh, you know to mm. what uh, to what extent uh, does the Muslim community have a have a have a knowledge of the prevent uh, strategy I think anything above uh, the age of forty to sixty-five, I think there'll be there will be some awareness. But if you mention, if you ask them, if you ask them the word prevent, they probably might not understand what prevent is. But they probably might know how it's mm. implemented. Whilst, whilst if you look at the you know you know fifteen to forty age bracket, I think there will be a sizable uh, you know there will be an aware a greater awareness of uh, you know what prevent is and uh, what the prevent strategy entails. Mm. No, that's that's very interesting the way that. Um 
people in sort of the older age bracket might see it as part of the broader security apparatus of the state rather than uh, the very sort of specific machinations of the policy. Um, and obviously, 18 to 35 year olds are the uh, age group most targeted yes. um, by the policy. Um, so working within academia, particularly in the fields that we both occupy, means that, you know, we have a strong awareness of preventing its impacts. Um, so what do you think can be done to improve awareness among, sorry, improve increased awareness among communities, um, particularly in, in sort of the age brackets that you mentioned that might not have as much awareness? You know, what what can be done to um, improve that knowledge? Um, I mean, I, I think at the moment, because obviously we're living under the, uh, you know, we've got a, a global pandemic, um, you know, COVID-19, coronavirus that's, you know, affected, uh, you know, society, mm. societies uh, all across the world. I think much of the work uh, in terms of, um, I think a lot of work needs in terms of highlighting what the strategy actually is and what it entails uh, in terms of, you know, debunking the, the myths, what actually prevent is and how it affects, uh, you know, communities. And I think this work is probably going to be have to do, be done online. But also what you've got to remember on the, on the other hand is that online literacy uh, is, cannot be accessed by everyone. We, I mean, people automatically assume that somebody has got access to a laptop or a computer or a mobile, but there's a lot of, uh, you know, families and there's a lot of communities where uh, digital literacy is, uh, you know, is, 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 is quite low in terms of uh, take up there. So again, even if you try to roll, uh, you know, greater awareness out online, they might not necessarily uh, become aware of what prevent is and what the strategy entails. I think greater awareness would be more effective through social media apps like WhatsApp, because I think most people today uh, probably use WhatsApp more than any other, and probably Facebook. Yeah. I think WhatsApp would come number one, um, and probably then now in Instagram, uh, in terms of the apps that are being used by the, uh, you know, by uh, you know, uh, big numbers within the Muslim community mm -hmm. so i mean if you had like digital posters or a small a small uh, you know talks maybe lasting five five ten minutes uh, disseminated through whatsapp mm -hmm. i mean that would raise greater awareness of the prevent strategy especially uh, due to the situation we are in with regards to the global pandemic mm. no, absolutely i suppose um the the biggest the biggest sort of uh risk as i see it i mean you spoke about how criticism of uh, prevent is sort of silenced and legitimate grievances are silenced. I mean, uh, written into the policy in specific places is uh, those who feel that they've been subject to racial or religious discrimination are more likely to be inclined towards radicalization, extremism. Um, what sort of problems do you think that poses um, in terms of raising more awareness? Do you think that that sort of prevents something of uh, presents something of a uh, roadblock to raising awareness and, and uh, bringing that knowledge to people? Well, I mean, my argument always has been, uh, you know, ever since I, you know, set foot in, in a university as a student, in, in going back nearly 23 uh, years, mm. is the fact that if you try to stifle or censor, censor views, then you risk, um, you, you risk the views of people going underground and they pose a, a greater mm. threat to themselves, their families, 
and wider society community because they're not actually being heard. I mean, I'm, I'm always of the view that if anybody presents an argument, then there should be a robust counter argument um, in order to basically, mm-hmm. you know, um, I mean, the thing is, I mean, if, if two parties are arguing, uh, the party that's going to win is basically if they can actually present a very robust, very detailed, uh, you know, counter argument to what's actually being presented. Mm-hmm. But if you basically don't challenge views that are out there and they've actually been censored or the groups and individuals have been, uh, you know, driven underground, then the sto- society is going to, you know, uh, society is only storing no problems for another day. And you're mm-hmm. going to have that these problems can basically then spill, spill, in, spill over into violence. And, that, and then that's the last thing that any family, any community, any society actually uh, wants, uh, you know, everybody wants the best for themselves. And, you know, people don't want this cloud hanging um, over them. So I always believe whether it's academia, whether it's school, whether it's a community, uh, views should be should be challenged rather than views being driven underground. Mm. No, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And university is supposed to be that space where, uh, as you mentioned earlier, with students and their work, we're supposed to take risks with making particular arguments and being critical. Um, obviously, particular forms of criticality are less popular among the, uh, the government lately. Um, so... Just in terms of um, the sort of the defenders of prevent and the support for prevent in certain circles, such um, such as uh, Quilliam and Inspire, um, how how do you feel that has sort of impacted um, the 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 way that people become aware of the policy and the knowledge that they have? So obviously, some some people in the defense of prevent have condemned particular groups that are trying to raise awareness, including some of the ones that we mentioned, like uh, MEND, but also Muslim Council of Britain has faced sort of criticism for raising that awareness of prevent, even certain media outlets for distributing stories, um, such as uh, the young child who drew a picture that they labeled a cooker bomb for a cucumber, even the media outlets have faced significant criticism from some circles that defend prevent. How do you feel that that sort of impacts um, communities being able to raise that awareness and well, so on? I mean, you know, speaking from my experience as a as a grassroots activist, I mean, there is genuine fear in the Muslim community that very, very few people are willing to come forward and be brave and actually report uh, experiences. I mean, we, we, you you mentioned one example there. There's another example where a child in a school said that I, I live in a, instead of saying I live in a terror, terrorist house, I live in a terrorist house. And it was a genuine slip of the tongue. And, you know, the whole family's uh, life was actually turned upside down. And the, and the boy was, uh, mm-hmm. according to media reports, was left severely traumatized. Um, uh, so, again, the, the, the problem you have is that uh, Sometimes you have a heavy-handed approach uh, to a situation where there's nothing really in it. That it's, I mean, especially if it's involving a child, uh, you know, as young as five, for example, um, who's you know made a genuine uh, error, and then the next minute they've been referred to channel, and then the authorities are involved. 
you know, the child is going uh, undergoing uh, de-radicalization. Uh, and, you know, that leaves a massive imp- psychological impact on, on the child and also the family and the wider community. And and I think, you know, there is genuine concern and, and I think genuinely people uh, are very reluctant, you know, to speak uh, about uh, preventive because of the stories actually in, in the media that it's better to actually remain quiet and be, be, be silent and just turn a blind eye uh, to things. I mean, there's always this mm-hmm. adage where, if it's if it's not happening to you your family then you know nobody bats an eyelid but when it affects your family then mm. it becomes uh, an issue and and that's this point has been raised by uh, many people in the muslim um, community and i think the muslim community are genuinely genuinely fear uh, you know that if they are seen or heard uh, to be speaking about prevent or issues regarding palestine iraq syria uh, mm. kashmir for example uh, India, China, for example, people are genuinely, mm. genuinely fear that action will be taken against them, or they'll be put on a blacklist for, uh, you know, raising mm-hmm. genuine concerns about the plight of people around the world and even in this country. Mm. No, absolutely. I think that speaks a great deal to what you were mentioning earlier regarding the underha- underhand, uh, clandestine way that you know, threats are made, that uh, indirect and direct um, power, hard and soft power that's used to sort of ensure that, you know, uh, there isn't too much criticism of uh, prevent. Um, So just in terms of um, your thoughts on the future of prevent, do you think that it has much longevity or faces enough opposition that we could see some sort of meaningful change? Um, I mean, obviously, um, there are people on both sides of the divide of prevent. Some people suggesting that it should be eradicated entirely. Others have suggested there should be a move back to a community-based approach. And obviously, there are those, um, especially those in Parliament presently, who suggest that prevent needs um, far more sort of harsh approach. It needs more powers. Um, what 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 are your thoughts in terms of the future? I, of I mean, first of all, you know, m- my thought is that. Safeguarding is very, very important. I'm going to be the first one, you know, to, to mm. say in this interview um, that you know, safeguarding the welfare of of children and, and people, community, society is is first and uh, foremost. That uh, you know, protecting innocent people, protecting people in society and community is very, 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 very important. However, I do believe that because prevent has been labelled as as toxic by many commentators, many uh, respectable academics and, uh, you know, in leading intellectuals, organizations that prevent, does have a future, but it's got to be community-led, that it's got to be a bottom-up approach that the uh, the, the authorities, the, the, the local authorities, the home office, the, the government have to consult with the communities, ask them for their reflections, thoughts, uh, information regarding their experiences and that feeding into making prevent work for the betterment of, of all as, and especially the Muslim um, community because the Muslim community's law abiding has been here for nearly 70 uh, years they you know many in the Muslim community have worked very hard have been become very successful so it's not a case where you know, the Muslim community mm-hmm. does not want to be seen as the fifth column as has been described by certain 
uh, politicians that in the Muslim community has roots in this country now, you know, wants to be part of society, have integrated uh, well into into society in, in many um, respects. So it's important that prevent, uh, you know, the practitioners and the, the policymakers behind prevent engage in a in a in a in a in a, uh, in a, in a better uh, a more enhanced manner and and deal with the communities directly rather than imposing policies upon communities where the community has had no input so mm. everyone needs to be made a stakeholder uh, this 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 is what i'm trying to get across mm. no certainly um obviously there are those that uh claim with regards to the safeguarding as you mentioned that we already have sort of these very uh, well-established um, safeguarding principles in place. Um, and the fact that we don't have a particular clear definition of terrorism, you know, it's still very open to a variety of interpretations. And, you know, it's, it's quite vague in a lot of circles. Um, whereas the safeguarding for other issues, including um, you know, organised crime, grooming, we have quite fixed ideas about what those are. And obviously some people speak about this as being a particularly problematic aspect of PREVENT with regards to the fact that, um, you know, we don't even have a clear sort of unified uh, definition of terrorism to even go from as a baseline, if that makes sense. Um, yes, it, it does. I mean, one of the uh, leading arguments uh, that, that the pro-prevent lobby uses that if anybody criticizes prevent they're basically being accused of actually being quite lax or uh, have neglected the safeguarding aspect i mean safeguarding was you know brought in relatively late uh, you know to my to my knowledge uh, i stand to be corrected as far as the prevent strategy mm. is concerned that it's been a weapon used against activists saying that uh, you know why are you criticizing prevent that mean you know if you, because you're criticizing mm. prevent uh, you know you are Basically, you don't care about uh, the, the the welfare and safety of uh, children and uh, you know a grown uh, adults. So again, it's it's basically mm. uh, balance. Uh, you know, it's a delicate um, balance. And and I think again, we, as you said, with the word, terrorism, the word is open to interpretation. And uh, and safeguarding is to uh, an extent um, as um, uh, as well. So I think it's you know it's it's a difficult question i mean we could be here all day debating about uh you know about this <laughs> this issue but you are going to have uh, a difference of opinion in terms of you know whether the, the, uh, should the critics of prevent be labeled as being anti safeguarding and i'm i'm sure most critics of prevent will say absolutely not that you know they hold the they hold uh, you know the welfare uh, and the safety of children and adults uh, in, in, or, or regarded as being of uh, you know utmost importance Mm. No, absolutely. I would, uh, I would agree with you wholeheartedly, and we certainly could debate it uh, all evening, no doubt. Um, I think, lastly, just to say thank you so much for speaking with us this uh, rainy afternoon in lockdown, and I look forward to many other discussions on prevent that can uh, last a little bit longer. Thank uh, you, Dr. Sheikh, for your thank you, Claudia, Claudia, for giving me the chance to, uh, you know, to take part. Uh, in this very wor worthwhile endeavor. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you very much.
This is another episode of In Conversation, brought to you by Network Reorient, the podcast arm of Critical Muslim Studies. Thank you for tuning in. Have a listen to our other episodes and please leave a like and a rating.